This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 203. And we are diving into the fascinating world of colour psychology with Karen Huller. You are in for a treat, ladies and gentlemen. I have not been this excited about a new topic like this uh, for a long time. You know that way when you just discover something you didn't even realise was a big deal and you realise it is? That is what today's show is about. And I cannot wait to hear what happens for you once you've had a listen uh, and what light bulb moments you have. So please share with me on social, tag me in Insta stories, whatever you need to do to let me know how you went with this show. I am very keen to hear. And I dare say there, we'd be hard pressed to find a human who wouldn't find this, this week's show interesting, no matter what you're interested in, in various aspects of leading a low tox life. And the reason this obviously uh, for me, links to uh, low-tox living is because of the potential for us to feel calm, uplifted. So for me, this really falls into uh, the low-tox mind aspect uh, and obviously home and body as well because when we're then feeling calm and uplifted around our home, in what we're wearing, uh, then the ramifications um physiologically are also there. So it's a super fascinating little new angle for us to dive into. Uh, Now, before I hook into that, oh, actually, I also wanted to mention Karen's got an amazing book. The book is called The Little Book of Colour, How to Use the Power of Colour to Transform Your Life. And it's written for the everyday person. I've read it myself, chunks and, and um, bits. I'm sort of working my way through it. Uh, and it's definitely not dry and super, super technical. You can literally open up a page and kind of look at that particular theme that she's talking about in that particular moment. You don't have to read it cover to cover. So uh, it's a great book. Uh, It came out about a year ago and it's already uh, been translated into 13 different languages. So, uh, I mean, that's testament to the fact that it's a really good book, right? So I'll hook into that conversation in just a little minute, but I wanted to welcome all our Lotox Club members who've joined throughout the week. Remember, it's only $49 for the year or uh, that's Australian. So if you're in the US or Europe, it's around 28, 29 euro or USD. And uh, you then get 50% off all of our courses. So if, even if you just do one course, once you've become a member, that's your annual uh, club membership paid for, uh, given most of our courses around the $98 mark. Um, What else can I tell you about being in the Low Tox Club? Because it's a private Facebook group and only members can join, there's no trolling, there's no disparaging comments, no people kind of flying in just to be mean. It's a really considered, beautiful, positive energy in there. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, of course, your club dashboard. So each month we have a bit of a theme. In September, as I record this right now, we are currently looking at sleep, Uh, sleep hacks, how to improve our sleep. A lot of people have issues with sleep and we all know how debilitating it can feel uh, having chronic sleep issues, let alone a couple of nights here and there. 
so it's uh, an ebook for our members where we talk about this and we're going to have a look at some of the things that are working and uh, people are having success with as the month travels on. So join us in the club and I will see you there. The other thing I wanted to mention was, as we don't have a show supporter this month, I wanted to do a little special offer that I'm able to do for you. And I thought the best way to do that was through our um, my Young Living account. So a lot of people ask me often, what essential oils do you use? And six years ago, I actually had no fidelity to any one particular brand. But because I used to get asked all the time once I started the Go Low Tox course, I thought I really need to do my research. And I came across Young Living in the research that I did across all of the major brands that I had access to in Australia at the time. And uh, what I loved about Young Living was uh, different to other brands, they don't just buy oils on the open market and put a label on them. Uh, They actually have either contract partnerships or own their own farms. And that is the only way that they produce and acquire oils. So it is a very specific distillation technique that was pioneered by Gary Young, the founder, who has since passed. Um... And uh, what, if you know about distillation, lucky I do from my old booze days, is to distill well is to distill in a way where no corners are cut. You have to top and tail spirits. You don't double distill. You allow for slower distillations so that the uh, antioxidant scores or ORAC scores, as they're known, can be as high as they possibly can from the plant actives. Uh, and uh, Young Living really just ticked every single box in production and in terms of how they worked so hard to close the loop on production and not produce waste as uh, a company. So uh, that was who I went with. And uh, when you join with someone from Young Living, they are it's a network marketing business, and I know that's not for everybody, that's fine. Um, but it's not the only thing for me either. As you guys know, I'm a huge fan of many wonderful low-tox brands doing great things for people and planet. So in joining our oils community, you are not boxed in or pressured into only getting everything from your Young Living account. But I will say there are some Perla products across home low-tox stuff, uh, shampoos, makeup. The makeup range is gorgeous. The volumizing mascara is fantastic. Um, and uh, what are some of my favorites? So I love the household cleaning concentrate. Between that and the Dr. Bronner low, uh, Sal Suds, uh, those are pretty much the only two things we use to clean the house. Um, and it's so, so economical, works out to about $3 a spray bottle of multi-purpose spray. And, uh, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked most low tox spray bottles that you would buy off the shelf in a, um, supermarket or a hot health food shop are around the eight, nine, $10 mark. So it's really great value. Um, helps you stretch the budget. Um, I use the art serum for the face underneath my morning and nighttime moisturizer. I've just started trying the beautiful brightening color, uh, brightening skincare system bloom, which is absolutely delicious. Uh, really wonderful. If you have uneven skin tone, uh, little brown marks kind of starting to appear and you want to, um, just make those not make a comfortable home on your face just yet. Uh, and, um, uh, I could go on and on. Obviously the essential oils I think are beautiful, beautiful oils. 
and having spoken to people who have used lots of different brands over the years and finally had a sniff of uh, Young Living oils, they're like, oh my gosh, that is next level. Uh, And so I'm a huge fan. I used to make people in my champagne brand ambassador days where I um, represented one of the brands that was kind of thought of as a bit of a less than brand, but in the industry it won all of the winemaker awards and yet it had a cultural stigma as being too cheap, like if it was less expensive then it mustn't be as good. Um, and I used to just do blind tastings. I'd put, pop the most popular champagne next to the one that I represented, say, by all means, why don't we do a tasting and you tell me which one you think's better. And uh, my brand would always win. Yoo-hoo! So I've done that with friends with uh, Young Living and other oils out there and YL always wins. So if you're curious, if you think you might like to open an, a wholesale account, I highly recommend it. As I said, you're not going to be boxed into having to buy only that brand, but you can absolutely, once you're a member, join our oils community, um, which of course we don't just talk about oils. I just did a big review of the new mascaras in the range uh, last week, which you can see in the group there. And for anyone who joins with Young Living this month through my member number, on uh, which I have linked on the show notes, you will receive a copy of Low Tox Life, my book. And I would very happily send that out to you. So if that sounds like something you might like to explore, hit the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and then just click on today's show show notes with Karen and uh, all shall be revealed. So that's all I wanted to blab on about this morning before uh, hooking into this week's show. Once again, I really think that you guys are going to love this one. I can't wait to hear any ahas that come and enjoy exploring colour psychology with Karen Huller. Hello, Karen. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I am very well uh, and I am so excited about this chat. I'm intrigued. It's like, you know, when you don't know a subject is as important as it is and then you discover it and then you think, oh, everyone needs to know about this. That, that is how I felt when I came across your work. So it is such a thrill to bring you to the show. Oh, thank you so much. And I know we organised this earlier on in the year and um, – I've really, um, really been looking forward to this. So to, the day has finally come. <laughs> it sure has. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, how do we start? And uh, I, I think colour psychology, uh, which is what you do, um, it is your field, might be something quite new to people. They might think, oh, yeah, I've had my charts done or I've worked with a colour stylist before for clothes but it goes so much deeper than that uh, for me once I started to learn more about it in researching your work for this interview. Can you share a bit of a 101 on how on earth one comes to be the global authority on colour psychology? <laughs> well, um, It wasn't a job yeah, title you chose in your year 10 counselling, uh, job counselling. Um, <laughs> it's sure. not, is it? No. I wanted to be actually an archaeologist or a... Um, I wanted to be an undercover policewoman, but I knew that I would give it away because I'd just be giggling and they'd, they'd find me. So, uh, yeah, so I've always been interested and intrigued about getting under the skin of things um, and really understanding why things ticked and what made, you know, the big the big why. So 
my mum has always said like the first word that came out of your mouth and forever was why, you know, why, why? So when I um, was learning about colour, um, got a short, short track very quickly because I'd studied fashion design and millinery and I was thinking, ah, oh, this isn't it, this isn't it. And then I just thought, oh my God, it's colour. And then I went on this big journey to, to, to really find out about what, what colour was about and why, why I had this big epiphany moment. Um, and I did loads of colour courses and studied colour, but it never felt right. Like the, the colour wheel, I just thought it's got to be more than, than the artist's colour wheel. And when I moved over to the UK, um, I came, I did lots of other weekend workshops and then I came across um, a lady who, who ended up becoming my, my main colour teacher and colour mentor. And I realised with my second epiphany moment, what it was that I was looking for, for all of those years was something was called applied colour and design psychology. And really what that is, in a really nutshell, it's, it's how colour influences how we think, how we feel and how we behave. And that's, was, that was really intriguing for me is how can something that is seemingly visual and on every single thing, you know, obviously colour is on everything, um, why does it have this impact on us? Why is it that... I can like a colour one day and not the next, or why do I like this shade of yellow and you don't? You know, it's it's why am I having, you know, a positive feeling about a certain red, but another red really gets me agitated and irritated. And, and those sort of things I was really, really interested in. And then how we can actually apply that to, to um, business branding and how you can apply it into interiors and how we can really use colour to affect positive change and really improve well-being and use colour for positive good. So that was my, you know, that that was the kind of the big journey that I went on. Um, and yes, it's it's kind of it is a highly researched area, but a lot of people don't know about it and they don't realise that it's called colour psychology. And I back in the early two thousands when I was. Um, had done my studies and I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I can go out there in the world and do this wonderful thing. And then I would tell people what I do and they go, what the hell is that? <laughs> I didn't realise that no one knew. So it's something that we know instinctively. It's something we instinctively have a reaction to and response to every single waking moment of our lives, but we're not conscious of it. Um, and I didn't realise that I then had to basically spend years educating and years talking about it to anyone who would listen. And basically, I did talking to the wind for many years. Um, but, you know, getting known for what you do, it, it re I mean, this is really for anyone that's listening, to get known for what you do is that you just talk about the one thing and you show up talking about the one thing and you write about the one thing and you everything you do is that one thing. And that one thing for me was how to use the psychology of colour and design for positive good and positive change. And that's all I talk about <laughs> when it, you know, work wise, it's all I talk about. So um, that's how, you know, to answer that question, that's how you get known. Yeah. That's I love it. Get known for that. And, um, and I have, I mean, it's the perfect segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, which was, uh, 
I just wanted to get really upfront and positive with this show as I'm doing with actually a lot of our programming at the moment, because I feel people need that positive thread so that we feel a sense of optimism in a time when that's not necessarily on tap as we look around. Um, uh, And so what are some of the basics of how we can actually use colour to support our lives in a positive way? Um, You know, is it as simple as brighter and happier, makes us feel better? Obviously it's not, but I'd love for you to start there and unpack some of those basics. Gosh, okay. Um, first thing, brighter and bolder and bigger isn't isn't better. There's a, you know, I think it's a bit of a myth that um, if you want to feel happier, just go bold and bright. Um, and I always equate this to um, like a ra- like a radio station. If you've got a radio dial, do you feel better always having the music on full blast? Or do you feel better sometimes when you have it just in the quietly in the background? And colour is emotion. So when we take in colour, and this is what I didn't say before, was that when we take in colour, it goes to the part of our brain which is called the hypothalamus. This is a, this is this is a very quick one hundred and one. And it that goes to the part of our brain that um, is where our emotions reside. So it governs our metabolism, our sleeping patterns, our body temperature our nervous system, our, you know, the sexual organs, um, you know, everything that we, how we feel, how we respond, colour will um, have a, you know, there'll be a colour and a reaction or response to that. So if you think about really bright colours and or, or even colours that are very, um, very quiet, these are all, um, uh, they're all expressing emotions and different kinds of emotions. and as human beings, we don't always live on high emotion. We we need this, we need this musicality. We need quiet. We have quiet reflection time. We have boisterous. We have playful and everything in between. And if we're always just in bright colours or surrounding ourselves with bright colours, it's like we're living the whole time with the radio up full blast. It. It actually creates sensory overload and it's and it's sensory it's noise it's emotional overload and it's not how we as humans um we don't thrive we don't thrive in all quiet and we don't thrive in all loud um we thrive in spectrums right yeah so Mm. that's the that's the reason why with color you can do a very quiet color and when I mean quite low saturation, maybe a very, so for instance, a sky blue or a sage green or um, a very, very soft pink, you know, they're very low saturated. But when you think about lime green or magenta um, pink, or you think of turquoise blue, that's like the dial's being turned right up. And you can even, even when you think of those colors in your mind, you can already feel the emotion rising. So, People that say, um, you know, if you're feeling down, wear bright colour. For some people that might work and for some people it might just take them, take it out, take them out of that lull and it might just be that shot of energy, that, you know, that vibrant energy they need. For other people, it could actually put them in complete overwhelm and it could make them even feel worse. So I'm, I really advocate that 
however you're feeling, however you're, you want to feel, you instinctively will pick the colours. You know, you go to open your wardrobe, instinctively you'll go for those colours for that what you need. And it's really about trusting your innate instinct. You know, it's not about following fashion. It's not, a, I'm going to go my soapbox now. You know, it's not about <laughs> following fashion or, or looking what the latest trends are or looking what your neighbour has or looking what everyone else is wearing. It, it really is about uh, showing up authentically and really trusting what you need um, and what, what feels right for you. And it could be the quietest of quiet colours or it could be the most vibrant. And us as human beings, we, we, are, we are this entire spectrum and we could be this one day and, 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 and feel a different way the next. We could even change how we feel within the one day. So the more we're in touch with our emotions and the more we are in touch with who we are and what our own needs are, then we can start to pick the colours and then the saturation of colours that, that respond to that for us. Isn't that interesting? So something that really um, stood out for me there just then was when you said the more we're in touch with ourselves, the more we're in touch with our emotions. And because when you were saying, you know, you've got this, think intuitively about what, you know, and that will be the right colour for you. But sometimes we're so disconnected from our emotions and ourselves that we can hide and think we're choosing something because that's the right thing for us. But actually, if we're not connected to ourselves, we could be hiding ourselves behind certain Yes. Things. Yeah. yeah. And I know yeah, I've absolutely. done that in the past as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what happens is, and this is the thing about trends, trends aren't meant to be slavishly followed. They're, they're, they're there really to inspire. But what we can often do is we can often, and this is the losing connection with who we are, because for some reason we either believe who we really are is wrong or, or we've been made, I'm trying to choose my words, made mm. to believe that we're wrong or, yeah, or, yeah. or we, we perceive that someone has made us to be feel wrong. So therefore we look outside ourselves for the answer. We look outside ourselves thinking if we do what somebody else has said, like for instance, this is the colour of the year or this is the colour to go with um, or this is what's on trend. If I do that, I'm now acceptable, I am now belong and I'm now loved. Mm. Um, and does that and, come down to tribal um, sort of instinct, that, that desire to just blend on in with everybody and be safe in the tribe? Yeah, yeah. So it's one of those. It's it's one of the sort of the you know the the basic human needs is to is to belong, feel belong that we belong and feel that we've accepted and ultimately to feel loved. Um, there are people that push against that, and so you'll see people that 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 don't follow the norm and will go out and do their own thing. Now they could be people who are very comfortable with who they are, or people that are actually rebelling and pushing against it, and it still might be that what they're wearing and how they're choosing to show up isn't the authentic them, but they're just pushing against. For the um, sake of it, you mean? Um, to, to, well, it could be that, but it also could be that um, sometimes when we're trying to discover, we're trying to find ourselves, like we, a lot of teenagers that go through the black stage, they're really, they're really um, it's like a metamorphosis, isn't it? They're, they're, they're going within themselves. They're blocking everything out. They're wearing a lot of black. You know, some teenagers I know they've even had, you know, all black bedroom. 
and they're just hiding from the world, pushing everything away because they're, you know, when you think about it, you're becoming an adult, you've got raging hormones, like every single thing could be, is going on and you're trying to find your own identity. So it, it's, and some people choose to do this as a teenage black stage, as an example, in, in order to try and find who they are. And so they do an out, an, you know, like an outward rebelling and outward pushing away, which is absolutely fine. So if anyone's teenager is doing that, <laughs> like, I'm so glad this came up. I'm sure a heap of people are like, oh, thank God, that's normal. Yeah, I'd let them do it. The the thing to be mindful of is that they actually come out of it, Mm. Um, is that they do, because, like, let them go through that self-discovery, let them them do that. Um, Yeah, a lot of mums say to me, I'm not letting them paint the walls black. And I go, well, then all you say to them is you can paint it black, but you have to paint it back. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, but if it's what they need, because it is, it is a form of self-expression um, and it really is depends on how far you want to go, but I would, I would let them go. Um, you know, you can put black plastic up, that's still black. Um, and then, yeah, as long as the people that you come out of that, but this is a, this is like, you know, I think a really good example of how we can show up um trying to push against what is going on because we're just really trying to find out who we are and really connect back to back to ourselves. And a lot of women that I've spoken to and that I've had as clients that have worn black in lady years actually have said to me, they didn't go through a black stage when they were kids or when they were teenagers, which I thought was really interesting. And they're kind of going through their black face when they got older. Right. That's so interesting. Mm. And mm. did you find in those examples that the black stage that the adult went through was a similar soul searching and, and needing to mute everything as much as possible so that they could make space for self-discovery at that point in their lives, like oh, a teenager? Great question. Great question. Uh, no, I didn't find that at all. I found Damn, that, that would have um, been a great correlation. <laughs> been wonderful it would have been wonderful yes but what i found is a lot of women that wore black um they were um well they were too scared to show up as as them so that's where they basically it's it didn't it didn't then go further to the self-discovery is is they didn't want to be seen and they didn't want to be noticed and they didn't want to stand out from the crowd they wanted to blend in also there is this myth there is this myth that black is slimming, which is not true. Black is not black is not slimming. When it comes to black and the site, because I'm probably people are probably thinking, oh, okay, then say why. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, it's because when you when you look at blacks, so if you have a black box and a white box, or a black bag and a white bag, and you ask someone which one is heavier, people will always say the black looks denser and the black looks heavier so if black is slimming yet yet really actually it it adds gravitas it actually adds gravitas and it adds weight so black is not slimming what people are quite often feeling is because they feel that they're not being seen and they're not being noticed it has the illusion for them that they're slimmer and because it it um black doesn't uh it it creates like a block silhouette and so therefore they feel that 
And these are words that women have said to me, um, you know, in, in inverted commas, it hides their lumps and bumps, right? So, um, and I always go back and say, so the lady who actually said black is slimming was Chanel and Chanel was ridiculously very, slim. was a very <laughs> slim lady. So black looks slim on a slim person, not because it's slimming, it's because the person is slim. So once I get past that with, with, with speaking to women about black, uh, like with my clients, then the next thing is um, they say, oh, black goes with everything. And then I explain how black really only belongs in one colour palette. And quite often you'll find that people that wear black will wear a lot of um, bright colours under their chin because the black is actually draining them and making them feel really tired. And it's, and it actually like for most people, it, it, it drains the color from your face. So once we've got past that one, then they, then they typically, then the third or the fourth reason, because it's usually the conscious reasons they talk about first, but then they start talking about the subconscious reasons. Then we start really to get to the, to the, to the real meat of it when they say, actually it's because I'm, I'm hiding and I don't want to be seen. Mm. And then we start getting, then we start getting to, to the kind of the, 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 the truth or the, the, the real, you know, the real meaty part of it. Um, and then our, and then we, then we have the conversation about why is it they don't want to be seen and, and invariably is they're being told who they, they, they believe they're being told that you're too silly, you know, you're mucking around too much, you're too this, you're too that, stop doing this, stop doing that. You know, they've been told this, by their parents or by their teacher or somebody. Boss or, um, yeah. Yeah, and then they believe it to be true. And so what happens? They shrink and shrink and shrink instead of, instead of thriving. Uh, so, so my, you know, one of the things that I love to do is um, when I do the, my consultations is to, is the, the women, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't tell the women what they should do or what they should be or who they are the way the, 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 the process goes is that they, they go on a journey of self-discovery and they come up with the aha moments. And because the idea is if the lightning bolts can go off for them and that means, and they understand and get it for themselves, then they will own it. And they're more likely to uh, continue with it than somebody telling them who they should be or how they should act or how they should respond. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's about, yeah, them, and so then, and then the color part and the design part is this is your, this is now who, this is your authentic personality. This is who you're saying you are. And these are the colors, the tones of colors. This is the design style that shows your personality in color and design. And so it's, you're bringing your outs from your personality from the inside out. And that's how there's this really beautiful, um, uh, oh, what's the word? A co cohesion's not the right word, but there's a it, there's this perfect a match of of what's synchronicity. In and what's out. Yeah. 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 Amazing. That must be such an amazing thing to walk people through by the hand and come out the other end with. Yeah. 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 Um. And you know, women of all ages, women of all ages, women in the fifties and sixties as well, when they've said, oh. I find they, they actually say I now have finally had the permission for, you know, for myself to be who I am and not be what somebody else wanted me to be. Um, and that to me, yeah, that just brings the greatest 
the greatest joy just to see them um, see them love who they are. And yeah, I've had bikies. I've had very feminine, like very, you know, um, like ballerina kind of women, bikie kind of women, you know what I mean? Like um, rock chicks. I've had, you know, all sorts. And when they walk out, everyone is unique and everyone is beautiful because if you shine out who you really are, there's a, that, 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 that can't be anything but beautiful. Mm, so true. So true. Mm. When someone is truly exhibiting themselves in full flow of who they are, mm. Mm. it's always just such an attractive thing in a person yeah, yeah. when you see it. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's very um, uh, magnetic, isn't it? You're very drawn to those people. Hugely. It's like someone speaking passionately about what they're really into. I remember when I was coming towards the end of my career in the drinks industry and I had been, um, you know, very prolific, well-known in that space, and I used to hold these uh, super extravagant uh, whiskey tastings. And, but I had been researching organics and the food system and all of these sorts of things on the side and was sort of starting to, to move my, my brain over that way. But my physical way of earning money and all those practical things still had a little way to go. And a girlfriend of mine came to one of these tastings and I had found a way to inject my newfound fascination with um, how to care for our planet better by think, finding whiskey brands that were actually doing better uh, in the way they farmed the barley and all these kinds of things, regenerative practices. And she said, my God, when you talked about the organic one, it's like you finally arrived at the tasting and it was like the sixth one. Your whole face lit up, your whole body was excited. And I could just see that I, I understand now why you're wanting to move into this other space. And I'll never forget that conversation because it was such a, it's always a bit odd when one of your best mates kind of completely does a career pivot and you can't quite figure out why yet. But then when you see why, because you've seen that person in full flow, everything about that person makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. that's like a big epiphany moment for you then, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And the, and those, I think they're really important because we don't always notice or see when we might have had a moment that, that that's the life-changing moment and that is the, you know, the sliding doors moment, you know, from that movie or the, you know, like you're at the fork of the road and which, which path do you take? And, and we can sometimes miss, miss those moments. I mean, I didn't know, you know, when I was putting the feathers and ribbons on the, on the hat that I'd blocked and I went, oh my God, it's colour. I could have completely just gone, oh, well, that's nonsense and kept it going. <laughs> you know, like I could have just completely ignored that. But I'm I'm so glad, I'm so glad I didn't. So um, yeah, if anybody has one of those moments or even thinks back and thinks, gosh, I did have one of those, you know, that could, that could be the moment that it's your subconscious, it's your intuition telling you, this is this is the path, and it's not always easy to change, is it? Because it is financial. It is like you know me, you know, oh, it's like huge. Um, yeah. probably big business one hundred and one. Never do like never start a new career without actually checking to see if anyone even knows what it is. But that's <laughs> what I did. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that to anyone. But or it's starting quite, to run you know, a business with no experience or knowledge on how to run a business—that's always exactly, a tough one. Exactly, it's exactly Loved that but, journey. Yeah, yeah. But I think if you're really, 
you know, it's not just being passionate because we've, we all, I mean, I, you know, I'm passionate about, I love gardening, but you know, it's, it's, you know, I, you know, my other passion's traveling. So it, it's, it's more than just being passionate. It's when you wake up every morning, what is it that lights you up and what is it that, that you can't imagine you, you, you know, you, you couldn't imagine doing anything else but that. Um, and that's, and that's what I realized why, you know, that's exactly what color and color psychology is for me. And of course, the, the direction that you've gone in, Alex, it's because it's, it's what lights you up every single day. Doesn't matter how hard that day is, it, it's, 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 it's still lights that fire in you. Mm, absolutely. Uh, so fascinating how color is, uh, is a part of all of this. And I have a question that I want to ask more about sort of different cultures and something quite historical. But before I leave kind of what we're talking about, I think this might make for a good segue in that um, colour for um, like why do some of us have um, colours that we love and others that would hate that exact same color. How does preference actually happen kind of thing? And is it reason, season, lifetime, mood spectrums? Like are they all of those things in play? So we have to sort of give ourselves permission to fall in and out of love with different colors over a lifetime as well. Right. God, that's a big question. <laughs> I know. Sorry. As I started, I was like, mm, that might take a while. No, that's unpack. all right. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll answer what I think you've asked, and let mm-hmm. me just go. Oi, off track, right? Just let no, me. All good. <laughs> so, um, I over the years I have found that there's three ways, three main ways that we relate to color. And whenever I ask, whenever or like someone says to me, "Oh, this is my favorite color," or "My least favorite color," or "I can't stand this one," or or they talk about, I I always ask them what their relationship is with it and then so that's why I came up with these three ways so the first way is um, typically we like a color or, or dislike a color um, because we have a personal association with it so it could be a color that you saw on holiday so quite often people say to me oh I really love aqua I really love turquoise because I went on holidays to tropical island and it, and it reminds me of that you know it, it brings up a mess up something positive so it brings up a connection and it will be it will be an a, a, the color will connect directly to a personal event or a memory that is unique just for that one person the same token i remember a, um it was actually a designer who said I can't stand red and nobody I'm designing for ever will get red in their home. And it's because when I, you know, we had a further conversation about it was because she was in a car accident and the car that hit her was red. Oh, wow. So so that has had, it was quite interesting. I said, so your own memory of red has had such a big impact on you that you actually won't use it for anybody else in their home even if they want to use it and she said yes so she was very clear on that huge and imagine how many times a day her life is punctuated by a negative feeling because you see the color red multiple times every single day yeah it's quite yeah it's quite interesting it's quite interesting um and also a lot of, lot of, I don't mean to stereotype, but a lot of guys, especially here in the UK, a lot of guys love 
like either red or blue because it's the color of their football team uh-huh. or yeah. not football, uh, soccer. Soccer, soccer. yeah. So um, we can, we can um, have a favorite color because of a sporting team or something like that. Then the, the other way that we relate to color uh, is th- through cultural meaning. So, for instance, I think uh, most people know about China is, um, in China, red is good luck. And it's about bringing yourself um, wealth, prosperity, good fortune. Um, it's why brides wear red on their wedding day, why there's red um, tablecloths and a lot of red is used in Chinese restaurants, why Chinese New Year they have the red envelopes. So it's all about good luck, good prosperity. So there are people that favour colours because of the cultural meaning that it has. So in China, white is actually um, the sign, the symbol of death and bad luck. So interestingly, red wine sells really well, but white wine doesn't. So if you call it white wine, it doesn't sell, but if it was champagne, it would. Mm. So even though white wine isn't wine, it's like, isn't white, I should say, it's a kind of a yellowy green colour, isn't mm. it? Yeah. But it, because it's called white. So that's the impact that um, colour and culture can have and then the third way we relate to color is how a color makes us feel so how it influences or has an impact on our on our feeling when when we when we see that color um and that's that's the psychological feeling or psychological reaction that we have that's that's not personal and it's not cultural so pretty much anybody that says to me why they like or dislike a color after I've had a, like a, a conversation with them, it, it's, it's boiled down into one of these three areas. Um, even colour trends will still go into one of these three areas. So all what's in fashion. Um, so, yeah, does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I'm fascinated with how we can unblock negative associations with colour from events that have happened in our past because that's, um, do you have like a practical tip? I'm just thinking of this poor lady saying Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do, I do. I hate red every time she sees it. Yeah, so. Horrible way to go through (laughs) life, really. Do you you have a colour that you really dislike? Oh, my gosh. Or, Or that you really I hate, okay, I, I don't love tomato red, that orangey kind of red. It grates on me. Right, okay. So keep, keep that in mind and I'll explain my situation and it might be that you can map it across to yours. Ooh, okay, yep. Okay. So, um, and it is actually a story that I have in my book that when I was doing my year-long colour psychology training, with my teacher over here in, 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 in London, my nickname was Karen I Hate Yellow Huller. Like that was <laughs> my nickname because it didn't matter what yellow it was, I absolutely couldn't stand it. And for the life of me, I didn't know why. Did not know why. And now I don't, I don't, this, this shows you how long this could take, right? It's not that I was consciously working on it, but obviously every weekend and all the time when I was doing my studies, I'm looking, thinking, why don't I like yellow? No, I just can't stand it. Then I was about nine months into my, God, nine months into my studies and 
of course, another, you know, I always seem to do these loud things in the middle of the classroom, which I used to always do in school as well. It's like, oh, now I know why I don't like yellow, right? So disrupt the whole class. <laughs> you can tell I've got a very external energy. It's like, I know it, I know it, you know. And, and I remember Angela, my teacher, just looking at me, you know, once again, disapprovingly. Um, and I went, oh, now this, you will think, how did I not remember this? But this shows you, and it's a really good example of how far much we can push a memory down. When I was growing up, right, my whole adolescence, you know, before 10, you know, my teenage years, my desk and my bed in my bedroom was bright canary yellow. Now, as a child, this will come as no surprise. I was sent to my room a lot because I was <laughs> always talking back. Like, Loud oh, and out of line. <laughs> you don't say. Yes, I was always sent to my room. And I, my mum would come in and I would be jumping up and down the bed going, oh, this is the best punishment ever, right? So I'd be playing around and mucking around and she'd just shake her head and, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that I was still sent to my room that I had to sleep in and I was still sent there because, you know, I had been separated, you know, you are separated as a child from the family. Um, even though I tried to make fun of it, clearly it had an impact on me to the point where I couldn't stand any type of yellow. Wow. You see what I mean? So yes. as a child, you, you work out strategy. So my strategy was still, still to play and muck around and go, ha, 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 I'm having fun. I'm jumping up down my bed. Like you, this, isn't, this isn't punishment at all. But clearly, clearly it affected me. Now, what we do is we can, we can forget the event, but we make the colour wrong. So I made colour, I made the colour yellow wrong for decades, right? I made, it, I, made it, I made it wrong. and But I could not remember why. And that's what often happens is that we can forget the event. But when we see the colour, the colour triggers the emotion might not trigger the memory, but it triggers the emotion. And that can be a positive or an adverse, you know, positive or negative emotion. Now, when I realised what it was, I then, and okay, this is the bit then, this is the self-reflection bit. Okay, what did that mean? What did that time mean? Um, and I, you know, made peace with that time. I understood why my parents did what they did. I understood my reaction, my response, so that I could separate. So the event still happened. I just separated the emotion from it. And so then I just went, wow, so yellow's not wrong anymore, right? It's because it's nothing to do with yellow. The next day, I swear, Alex, the next day, <laughs> I was walking along Oxford Street here in London, and I saw in the shop window a yellow bikini, which was my yellow, and I went straight in and bought it. Wow. Yeah, and yellow is now my second favourite colour, and it was actually my lockdown colour. So Interesting. it shows that when you, um, when you can separate it, it might be that you don't like the colour. You still might not like it. Um, but it's, 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 it's going through those, those, those steps. Now, sometimes when I have clients, they can very quickly, like they, I absolutely can't stand bottle green. And I said, do you have a memory? Is there something about it? And they'll straight away, yep, it was the colour of my school uniform. 
So that's that's the most common one I find. Is the most common disliked colour I find is bottle green, and it's because it's because of school uniform and because of memory at school. And so they chat about it. Um, you know, I don't go probing because colour because colour is emotion. It can bring up a lot of stuff, and so I don't do therapy. I don't do counselling. So it's 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 holding people very safely and only to say what they want to say. But when they are ready, I go, okay, so this particular green, this particular bottle green is actually in your colour palette. It's in your colour family. And if we remove it from the school uniform and we put it in the context of a sofa or the context of a rug or the con some different context, they go, oh, yeah, I really love it. I just don't. I just don't like anything to do with my school, but I really love it in this context. And that's when people can like a colour in some contexts and not in others because of because of the memory. Yeah, but so you the, stop carrying the association across every presentation of it and you're able to actually compartmentalise it into, oh, well, that was actually in that context and I'm fine with it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, yeah, so I yeah, so I love I love yellow now, um, but not everyone. Uh, some people are very quick. Mine took mine took nine months, um, but it's something that I wouldn't ever recommend anyone to push um, because people can get very upset. So I would never push somebody into why don't you like it? Why don't you like it? You know, you must know why you like don't like it. Um, I would never ever do that uh, because of the emotional weight that can be behind it. And some people don't want to bring up memories. Sometimes the memories are so painful. Um, there could be trauma. There could be all sorts of things. So if somebody says, I don't know why, but I just can't stand it, it there is still something in their subconscious that's opened a little window. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And they might not know, but they might start to feel. And I have clients sometimes that come back months later and then say to me, oh, now I know why. And it's like, you know what? It will be revealed when you're ready. So don't try and don't try and push it. Mm. Well, warm reds and I will go on a journey and try and figure out why I like the cool ones, but not the warm ones. Yes, there might so be. Interesting. I mean, there might be something that, that happened to you in your childhood or even, you know, it could have even happened last week. You're probably more conscious of it, but um, there is, there'll be a reason, there'll be a reason why. Yeah. Did you, did you fall in a tapato patch? <laughs> did you? Gosh, I'm not sure. Did you get lost? Did you get lost in something as a kid? You know, I did. Like I, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Karen. <laughs> so it was Chinese New Year and we were in Singapore and I was maybe eight, maybe younger even. Uh, I think Actually, I think I was younger. And so Chinese New Year, what colour is absolutely everywhere? The red lanterns. Yeah, and they're not a cool cherry red. They're all no, no, they're warmer, warmer red. red. Mm. And I got lost in a huge <gasps> crowd in Singapore. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no joke, no word of a lie. That is spooky, isn't it? That's spooky. It's funny because I saw you running through tomato fields. Huh. And it was you saying, did you fall in a tomato patch or something that yeah. made me think, um, you know, crowded place, lots of red. That's where my wow. mind went. 
guys, we so didn't rehearse this. That's actually <laughs> we did not. We did not. No, I'm this is like I'm just like going, hold on, that's really spooky. <laughs> I can't wait to tell my mum. Oh wow. my gosh. Yeah, and so oh, this lovely um this lovely do with her. Yeah, this lovely Singaporean man put me up on his shoulders when he realized I'd lost my parents. And it, you know, luckily I'm this little blonde white kid. So, you know, once I've got some height, I would have been pretty easy to spot in a crowd of Chinese people celebrating their New Year's Eve. And um, my parents found me pretty quickly. So um that is an absolute trip. I've always hated that shade of red. That's amazing. So now that you, let's just, <laughs> let's play with this. Okay. Honestly, this was so not rehearsed. I got goosebumps. <laughs> Me too. I'm not, I'm not Mystic Meg, by the way. If anyone <laughs> thinks I can, I'm not Mystic Meg at all. So <laughs> this is just too funny. So now that you know that, what's really good for you is to sit with that and sit with that with the memory and you know, quite often it's because we didn't feel safe or there was a fear, there's some sort of um, oh, emotion. Yeah. Mm. And then just with sitting with it and then coming to terms with it, understanding and, and, and being able to separate the colour from the emotion, then it would be really interesting to see what your relationship going forward is with, with this colour, with this, you know, with a warm, um, yeah, warm tomato, orangey red. Mm. And I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> I will. I will be sending you an email. I'll Please. let you know. But I honestly, yeah. I see it in a seasonal fashion catalogue, or you know, country road catalogue, or something that you'd find in the newspaper. Um, and uh, and I will literally like my skin will crawl. I, I've hated it that much. So that is, oh, I I bet there's a bunch of people out there right now thinking. Oh, I wonder why I can't stand Kingfisher Blue or, you know, I mean, who knows what's going through people's minds right now, but that's a really fascinating thing to unpack. Mm. Mm, mm. And I, I do have a little process that I call the colour detective, like oh, yeah. process that I, um, that I use. So, um, yeah. Yeah, see, it works. Very it's, it blows cool. me away each time. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I could tell. But you were quick. You were super quick. I can't believe how fast that was. I genuinely yeah. was like, as you were telling your yellow desk story, I was like, well, I'm never going to figure it out. My memory sucks. So, you know, my best friends from my childhood joke sometimes and say, thank God we were there. Otherwise you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't remember anything that ever happened to you. But that just came straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Bursting so cool. to come out. There you go. Um, okay, so uh, I want to ask a question from having read um, as much of your book as I possibly could uh, in, in the space of an author deadline of my own right now. Um, but I did read through, you know, there are always chunks that you gravitate towards in new books, especially in one laid out like yours, where you really have sections that if that your interest is piqued, you can just read those few pages, which I always love books like that in the nonfiction space. Uh, it feels way less confronting when it's a topic you're really new to. And I was reading the passage on how cultures, certain cultures don't have, I mean, you know, like we think about our 72 um, Derwent three-layer pencil case that that one kid in the class got and everyone was jealous of them. Yeah, I know yeah. her name. Her name was Annie Conley and uh, oh. I still know her today. Um, shout out to Annie if you're listening today. I was very <laughs> jealous of your Derwent pencil set. But we have colours, shade names for almost 
I mean, so many, if you think of the Pantone scale, there's just so many shades articulated in the English language. But in your research, you actually found that some cultures don't have quite so many references to all the different shades of various colours. But that didn't mean that they didn't recognise them, which is the part that I found fascinating. So how does that work? Are you talking about the, are you talking about the Himba tribe? Yes, exactly. In, um, in Namibia? Yeah. So, well, what was fascinating about them, and obviously this isn't my, I've read about this, this is not my research, I better qualify that, because this, you know, anthropologists um, know about this tribe um, and it's, it, it, you know, they don't have all the answers, but it's been fascinating them for years, is how the Himba tribe um, can see, you know, hundreds of different shades of green, more than what we can see, and we can see a lot of greens, but they can see a lot of the very, like the similar. But when they have a whole, but when, when the uh, researchers put all the greens together, that for us as our Western eye, we couldn't differentiate the different, we couldn't see the difference, but they could. But when they put a blue in, which we could see the blue, they couldn't see it because they don't have a name for blue because they, they see, they have the same, um, they have the same term for blue and green. So they couldn't actually see that the blue was different, like what we could see. And we still don't really, you know, well, researchers still don't really understand how this works and why this is, but it's just one of these things that um, is just, just really, you know, one of these, fascinating things that will we ever will we ever get to the bottom or will we ever find an answer for but um this is this is something they found that was really um really amazing um but i was involved in a piece of research at uh university college london there's a guy called uh dimitris who i know and he has spent 10 years he actually was only supposed to do like a year, but it ended up going to 10 year research into um, colors and color naming because he was, so there's 11 main, there's 11 main colors, but, and there's also the colors that, you know, the, you know, the colors that we can see in a rainbow, but, but a color just, just doesn't stop and finish. A color then blends into the next color. And he was really interested in those in between colors, those, those colors that we can see but we don't have a name for and so i did you know he had he i don't know how many dozens or hundreds of people he had coming through to do this research but had to sit in a in a controlled environment in a dark room in a lab and he flashed up probably a hundred colors very quickly and i had to instantly come up with a color name that i associated it with so there was ones that you would think are easier like lilac and aubergine and then you would see um you know like tomato red or you would call that you know fire engine red but then there were these purpley blues and these you know these orangey yellows and these kind of greeny blues and 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 all these sort of colors that even trying to come up with a name very very quickly because sometimes like with a real kind of a a ready purple your mind is scrambling for a word and you can see it as a color but you can't have a word you don't have a word for it 
So he was trying to find, and he's doing this study across the world, trying to find what are the commonalities and what is it that doesn't matter what language we speak, what colour do we, what, what, what names are we giving to certain colours? And he found that lilac was a very common word for the same colour and turquoise. Um, and then there's a, and then um, and lime, so like lime green, but um, lime was the one that I, I said to him, is this not now becoming a very common colour in our, in our, you know, colour language? Um, so he was, he was trying to, to do an experiment to, to, to take that even further and understand what, what we can see and, 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 and the names that we are giving to colours. So that's a really, um, I find that a really fascinating piece of research. Mm, so fascinating. Mm. Um, what a fun thing to have been asked to sit there and do as well. Um, I think that Well, be- so I did it once and then mm. I had a half an hour break and then mm-hmm. I had to go and do it again. Oh, wow. I in my mind when I walked out. something changed for you the second time doing it? Oh, I found it harder because it's like, well, well, because I was like, what was the the name I gave that that Um, brownie red last time? Yeah. (laughs) Memory came into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I did have um, like, yeah, I did have word fatigue. It was, and I had far more words for green than I had for purple, different purples. I found that there was far more because I was exposed to far more different greens and I had far more, my vocabulary was bigger and there were certain purples that I just went, uh, purple. <laughs> Cause I was like, I know I go, I can't think of a word. So, um, I know when he was probably transcribing it back and I was, you know, I was thinking, I can't think of the word is, you know, obviously the name of the color. It's just, I couldn't, I couldn't think quick enough. Um, so interesting. So yeah, it was, it was, it was really interesting. It was a, yeah, it was a fun thing to do. Mm. Um, I want to ask you a really basic question um, and something that really bugs me. Uh, why pink for girls and blue for boys? How did that come about? Yes. Um, this is, this is really interesting. So um, there's so much, there's so much attached to this. There is so much attached to it only because, uh, you know, uh, my gorgeous nephew who's now three um, he's obsessed with pink right now. Um, and I just know there's going to be a day where he'll get the crap teased out of him for loving his pink tracksuit or whatever. And then he'll be shamed into disliking that color. Um, and I just feel like that's really sad that people aren't allowed, allowed to grow up loving the colors that they want to gravitate towards because of gender. It seems so odd. yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Oh gosh. All right. Gender colours, we'll get, we'll get onto that. So bef- around about the 19... It happened... This this sort of change happened around about the 1940s. Bef- before that, though, it was pink for boys and blue for girls. Really? Color, yeah, so red is the colour of masculine energy. It's not the colour of masculinity. Oh. It's not a male colour. It's the colour of masculine energy. And pink is a lighter energy of red. Yes, that makes perfect sense if you think about French um, royalty and history. Um, Yeah, and, you know, we've kept a a touch of that in French culture. I'm I'm a Frenchie and a lot of men wear pink shirts and it's classy to wear a pink shirt as a French man. Um, But an Aussie guy wouldn't dare dream of doing such a thing. (laughs) It's true. They wear pink shirts here in the city, but that's because they, you know, 
they think that they're rebels and they think they're wild. Oh. <laughs> the city of London, the financial district, you know, they all wear different colour shirts. But um, I was being a bit cheeky then. Yeah, um, no, that's okay. It's really around, fascinating. Yeah, but around the 1940s, an American department store did a marketing campaign and flicked it and did pink for girls and blue for boys. Now, this is the interesting thing that I find really fascinating is, and there's so many strands to this, is when we hear something enough or we see something enough, we believe it to be true. So over the decades, we have we've been told pink for girls, blue for boys. Then the marketers talk about pink for girls and blue for boys. Then the manufacturers, you know, and I will call them out. It's a little bit lazy. You know what? We'll just make everything for girls in pink because it's easy and we'll make everything boys for blue because it's easy. We don't have to worry about the colours. And so, therefore, what then ends up happening is somebody has a little girl and you go and you buy your pink dress or your pink toy and you go and buy the blue one and you buy the pink wrapping paper and you buy the blue wrapping paper and and then what ends up happening is is it's this self-fulfilling kind of prophecy in a way that it's this circular thing that you it's like on your hamster wheel and you can't get off because we believe it's true we see it it's the only thing we can buy. It's the only thing that's manufactured. And so we buy it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm, I'm, um, we're funneled. We're literally funneled into. Yeah, we are. We are. We're channeled into this. Yeah. Mm. yeah so I, I have a Dutch mother. And when you, when the child is born, there's these little sprinkles called moistures, which is like, basically it means little mice, but they're like, you know, like, like, chocolate sprinkles oh but yeah you can buy pink sprinkles for girls and blue sprinkles for boys for when your child is born i mean for a this newborn is how, like huh for a newborn yeah but then you but you, you put it on your toast in the morning kind of you thing put it like toast, the dutch you do, do. You don't yeah, yeah. Over newborn. <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty glad we clarified that one that would have been some crazy custom and I've got some no dutch you still friends. got your toaster on your food yeah like but, but what like i mean but pink for girls and blue for boys went on everything right ridiculous then what ended up happening is in the maybe the 90s or even the 2000s there's huge anti-pink campaigns you know there was someone over here that did a big campaign called pink stinks because and then they started saying that it's gender the gender colors well there's no such listen let's bust another myth there is no such thing as a gender color Hooray. I love there, this. It, it doesn't exist because nobody went out and did an anti-blue, but why anti-pink? And there was a stage, Alex, that I was being rung up every week and asked, journalists would ask me, would I say something negative about pink? And I just said, no, I'm pro-pink. It's not pink's. It's the same thing about the colour association, right? It's not pink's fault. It's the manufacturing. It's the marketing. It's It's the... It's, it's what we've been told to believe. That is what's made this colour wrong. It's not, pink isn't wrong. And it's so, the symbolism, and, not the colour itself. Yeah, so it kind of, whoops, so it's not my laptop just fell. It, um, it's, it's, when we think about these three ways we relate to colour, it's, it's, it's come into our cultural belief. So we culturally believe this. So that's a cultural belief but we also associate pink for girls and pink for boys. Now, quite often people think that pink, uh, they'll say, oh, I don't want my, girl wear, my little girl wearing pink. 
because it's very weak and it's very needy and um, you know it's it's too girly all of these things these are the these are the adverse sides of pink because when we think about pink as an energy and pink as a color it is the it is a, the softer feminine energy okay it's not female it's so both men and women have male masculine and feminine energy it's the feminine energy of love as in caring compassion it's empathetic it's the hugs it's cuddles it's all of these wonderful things that god do we need this in the world right now right especially when we've been separated and told you've got to stay apart from everyone you know these are the very things that we need for ourselves, but we need for others um and oh god i used to get mothers say to me a lot um i'm really worried my son likes pink does that mean Mm, he's gay. I mean, they're gay. And I, mm, mm, and I would look at them and I, and, you know, I used to say, no, no, it doesn't mean that at all. And I thought, hold on, there's something going on here because I'm getting, you know, like, so when a lot of people say something to me, that's when I start to look for patterns and I think, okay, there's something going on. So then I came up with this phrase of, um, you know, does your son love cuddles? Do you, do you, do you allow your son to come to you for hugs and cuddles? And they would always look at me very perplexed and like, as if I was weird, of course we do, you know, like, of course I go, well, if, 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 um, cuddles were were a color, it would be pink. And they go, and then I could see the penny drop because I would completely ignore that the gay comment. Cause I just thought, you know, I under, cause I, for my, my role is to go, is to be compassionate when people say something like this. Um, because it's very easy to judge and just go, how can they say something like that? But for me, it's important to understand why they're saying that. And when I flipped it and made it about hugs and cuddles and made it about um, the warmth and about caring, then they got it. And I go, so this is what your son is expressing. Your son is expressing caring and love and warmth and compassion. I said, this is what you want in your son. So don't make it about the colour nurture this part of your your son's personality now quite often when a child like how does a child even learn that a color is wrong like how do they learn this they learn this from from other other children who have learned it from adults because someone had to have told them yeah don't put that on you look like a sissy or whatever Yeah. yeah if we right now in this moment all made a decision that we would not make a color wrong then everyone would stop making a colour wrong and then there would be the generations coming through that would not even not think that a colour was wrong. Mm, how amazing would that be if we didn't have that? And that's that. in everything, Alex, yeah. right? This is, yes. you know, this is humans. This is, you know, this is, this, that's, you know, we can take that to a much bigger context. So um, your, your nephew who loves pink, it is wonderful that his mum and dad is letting him wear the pink. There will come a stage, though, unfortunately, because we haven't moved beyond this yet, is that someone might say something to him and he might come home but then and be upset and not want to wear it anymore, but then it's for, your, for his mum and dad to sit down and explain it to him and explain what, what that means. Because when children, you know, children have this innate love of colour, there is no such thing as a wrong colour for a child. There is no, there is no bias. There is no anti-colours. Children, 
instinctively will pick colors that they love. Somewhere along the line, somewhere, someone tells them their choices and what they like is wrong. And then they believe that to be true. And this is the beginning of when we start to look outside of ourselves for, yes, for validation. Mm. It's when, you know, um, the amount of people that come to me for a personal consultation or consultation for their home, or even, you know, when I do consultations for the workplace, anything like that, people will say what they like, and then they will look to everybody else for validation to make sure that that was okay. Or they say, oh, I don't know what I like. I need to ask my mum. So it's because somewhere in their life they've been told that what they believe in, who they are, and we get right back to the very beginning of this talk, don't we, is that the choices that they made were wrong and so they look outside of themselves. And that's why people will go from fashion colour to trend colour to trend colour and lurch one year after the next seeking this because they're but they'll never find it because they're looking outside themselves and not within so if we can stop this with children and stop you know so if a child wants to paint a picture or draw a picture and they've got pink clouds and and an orange grass and a, and a blue house let them do it you know I, i've even been shopping and sometimes like i've walked through the children's department i've to, to look and see what other color is available because Thankfully now there's a bigger choice. And I've heard, I remember st I stopped and I froze when I heard a, a little girl picked up a dress and goes, oh, mummy, mummy, I love this. And the mother said, no, no, you don't like that colour. You like this colour. Oh, and I just thought, heartbreaking. And I thought it's never, never left my mind. And I thought, and that's where it starts. And that's where it starts. Yeah. And I just watched the little girl's face and her face just fell. And she picked up the other dress and her head kind of dropped a bit and off she walked with this dress of a colour that her mother told her, no, you like this colour. And it's heartbreaking, Gosh. right? Yeah, yeah, I'm really um, I'm really sad about that. And, I mean, if anyone's listening and they've just realised, oh, my God, gosh, I just did that with my own child. It's not about shaming people. No. It's just about a complete lack of awareness of what these words that we think are really light to us, maybe when we say them, um, are teaching a child in that moment, ah, my instinct and, and the answers that I find within me aren't always the right ones and I need to ask my mum or my dad or my teacher or everybody else what the answer is and how I can think and what I can do and what I can wear. And sure, there's an element where we need to create the boundaries that make uh, for peaceful societies and all of those good things. It's not about um, growing up completely unruly, but at the same time, far out. That's a huge impact, isn't it? I mean, it, you start to understand why women never feel like they're enough when you mm. hear that little that's conversation. Just one, yeah, because that's just one thing, isn't it? You know, I, I love it when I see um, so I, friends that have small kids and the kids will rock up and, and the first thing the parent will say is, I apologise for the way my child's dress, um, he, he or she dressed herself, you know, themselves this oh. morning. And they say again, it right in front like, of them. No, don't. And I just look at the child and I go, you look amazing. Like, wow. Because I try and I just ignore what the parent says. 
and I just go, because yeah, look, they look like a rainbow. They look like they've they've got you know, I don't know, a tracksuit with a tutu over the top and a tr on their head and yeah, you know, yeah. like whatever, like complete. Yeah, it is. You know, I can say to you, a bit of a bonkers. car crash. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but for that child, like brilliant, brilliant, because the child is happy. Like the child, the child is happy. Um, they look, you know, they and let them experiment. And of course, there'll be times that you just go, sweetie, you know, maybe not the tutu today, or maybe not that pink and the green and the blue and the, you know, peacock today because we're going, we're going here or whatever the reason. And there will be times, like you say, there will be times boundaries. But if a child just opens up their wardrobe and they want to express themselves. Like, how amazing to have a child that wants to express themselves like that. Mm. Brilliant. Yeah, that's Brilliant. so beautiful. I think um, I think of Sir Ken Robinson, who just tragically passed away, the amazing education pioneer. Um, oh, isn't he wonderful? Yeah, I know. And uh, and I, I'm I'm picturing him kind of saying, yes, I'm so glad you're talking about that right now. We need mm. to allow our children's creativity to flourish and yeah. expression. Yeah. 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 yeah, and not to be, um, because, you know, when you go to school, I remember I went to school in Balmain at primary school, um, Nicholas Street Primary School. I was there till I was about, um, I think I was only there for maybe a year, a year or two, but it was a very arts and very creative school. And I, w- I won loads of, uh, like, as a five-year-old, like, <laughs> loads of art, art awards for my, you know, <laughs> incredible finger painting. Um, but then I went to, uh, then, we, then we moved down to, to the bush, right? So you moved down to Bonnet Bay, which is in the Southern Shire. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then went to Janali Primary. And that was all sporting. And there was no art, no nothing. And so I just did sport. And so the whole, it's very easy how it was very sport and academic. And so the whole creative side was, was um, uh, I don't want to say knocked out of me, but it just didn't exist. Muted. And I did, yeah. sorry? Muted. Muted. Mm. Grayed out, we could say. Mm. Completely yeah. grayed out. Uh, and I just went down the sporting route. So I joined every sport, you know, I was in every sporting team and I was always playing sport, you know, seven days a week. Um but yeah, it's interesting that um, quite often that's what that's what. And there's a famous saying of an artist, and I cannot remember what it is, but basically, you know, we are all born artists, we're all born creative, and all born loving colour. And then, and then school, you know, academics, you know, the just slowly, slowly kind of knocks it out of us, um, unless we have parents, or we have something or an opportunity that lets us, you know, or, or we have that drive and determination. For it, for it to flourish, but clearly I just went, oh, sport, okay. My brother did sport. My brother, you know, he was in older, he did sport, so I just did what my brother did. Um, yeah, but it is interesting how we can um, suppress it for many years um, and then it just can pop up in some other way. <laughs> so true, isn't it? I'm hyper aware of that, and I think as a generation of parents, the ex-gen and younger um, really have an opportunity to feel a lot uh, safer in allowing our children's creativity to flourish because we're the first generation to kind of see the infinite possibility that exists in uh, fulfilling one's life uh, through careers and, and et cetera. And um, 
And I remember uh, last year, so my little guy literally has not stopped singing since he was born. Um, he sings all the time and it's so beautiful to listen to. It makes me very happy. Um, uh, and I can always tell when something's a bit off because he's not singing, uh, you know, so it's a really amazing barometer for us to communicate as well. And um, last year, uh, we're at the same village school that we were at since uh, he started. Um, but I noticed all of the boys dropped out of the choir and then it became very uncool to be in the choir. And then soon enough, my son didn't want to be in the choir anymore. And I thought, oh, that's you not being true to yourself. You know, that's, I didn't say that obviously, but I could tell uh, that's what was going on. And it was a gravitational pull rather than a personal choice. And, um, and, uh, a school that we had found that we absolutely loved and were all ready to go for year seven. When that happened, I was like, okay, we're going to start in year five. And, uh, and the amazing transformation, he's now performing solos in front of crowds. He's never sung solos in front of anyone. And, um, just incredible, you know, and I really think if we can tune into what our kids are lit up by, you know, we talked about me with my organic whiskey example, you know, and you with your, you know, you're doing the hat and you're like, oh my God, it's colour. Like imagine if we could help them tune into that from a much younger age and really just step into it super powerfully early on. And sure, it might change. It's not about like, okay, singing, you're locked in. <laughs> you can't yes. look at anything else. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying either. But just to allow for that free exploration, just like the four-year-old who dresses themselves, I think um, uh, it was kind of a, a parenting tangent I didn't realise we were going to take tonight. But what a beautiful one because there are a lot of parents in the low-tox community. So I'm really glad we went there. Um, I have one more question for you. Uh, and that is to say, we've talked about a lot of different things and <laughs> we've certainly covered a lot of ground. Um, it's now quite a, a difficult time for many all around the world and, uh, and people who really didn't think they were going to be experiencing any challenges this year. They had it all mapped out and it was going to be fabulous. I was one of those people, um, are all of a sudden hit with all sorts of adversity, um, conflicting black and white arguments. Everyone's just hating on everyone in social media, but it never feels like we're moving forward. You know, there's a lot of dissonance in our world right now. How would you suggest that we could maybe use colour as a bit of a tool for us right now to help navigate this complex time um, to, to find, to really tune into it as a source of comfort and joy um, in a time where things feel really unstable out there. Maybe our colours could be a, a really amazing um, comfort. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've um, been watching what a lot of people have been saying and doing and experiencing because um, we've been in lockdown. I hate that word. I, you know, let's not say that home. word. Yeah, it's we're staying word, at home. It? Yeah, it's staying at home. Uh, so we were in in the UK. It was from about early mid uh, March to um, mid July. So it was quite a long, quite a long time. And so I was observing what people were saying or doing on social media when it came to colours. 
And what was really interesting, um, and I had lots, lots of conversations, and um, a lot of people that would, um, you know, we go out, you know, you would go out every day, you'd go to work, you would, you would have a lot of outside stimulation and there would be a lot going on, you know, a lot of sensory stimulation. But when you're at home, they found that that stimulation was no longer there and their home was very quiet, as in very, very low saturated colours. So it might have just been ivory whites or it could have been greys. It could have been very soft, very soft, quiet. You know, as we were talking about earlier, the quiet, God, it feels like a long time ago we were talking about that, doesn't it? Uh, those quiet colours. And they've realised they needed a lot more because they weren't getting that, that external stimulation from restaurants and art galleries and, you know, all those, uh, you know, the things that, um, you know, catching up with friends and so forth. So a lot of people were actually finding that they were bringing um, a lot more brighter, higher energy colours into their home because that's, yeah. because that's what they felt that they needed. Um, there were other people that said, I actually don't feel safe i don't feel comfortable i'm i'm very fearful i'm very scared i'm very anxious so they found themselves um quite often what they did they went to the other end of the scale so they went with a lot of grays and um maybe grays with color in it like like gray or, or, or lavender grays um you know grayed out colors because they felt that they needed this sense of safety and they felt that they needed um, also a sense to kind of like block out the world and hide. And, and yeah, so gray in psychology um, represents about hiding the personality. So if you don't want to be seen, it's, it's similar to black, black, black is about hiding as well, but gray is sort of, you know, fading into the background and not, and not being seen. So a lot of people felt that they needed, they wanted to have gray around them. That, that's not always, uh, doesn't always um, help us in a positive way because quite often grey can be quite draining and we can feel very tired. Um, but that's what people said. Some people said they felt they were going to that end of the colour spectrum where other people felt that they were going to the brighter side because they needed more energy, they needed more vibrancy, they needed um, um, more optimism. So with me, I... So I would only go out once a week and that was to go shopping and I stayed in, I stayed at home the rest of the time. And that's before we were able to, you know, like then be able to go out and do, you know, exercise, like walk the streets, <laughs> walk the streets, walk the park. Um, but I found that I didn't, I didn't realise this at first, but when I, it was one day where I was back in the supermarket and I picked up a, a bunch of flowers and I just went, wow. Every single week I've been buying yellow or yellow and orange mixed flowers. Isn't this interesting? So I don't, I, just for people to think, well, wouldn't I know if this is my work? I don't sit there and analyse every single thing. Like I act like a normal human being as well, right? So I just, I do things normally and then <laughs> believe I... Believe it or not, guys. Yeah. Believe it or not. And then I look back and go, ah, because I look for patterns, you know, and so I'm thinking, gosh, every single week I've been, for the last two months, I've been buying, because it was the time where yellow daffodils and then there was yellow tulips and 
and then chrysanthemums. And I'm thinking, yeah, and I'm wearing my yellow T-shirt, uh, two yellow T-shirts. As soon as they were worn in the wash, I was wearing them again. And I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. Why am I wearing so much yellow? And it was a, like a sunshine, uh, sunshine yellow. And the positive sides of, of psychology of yellow is that it's, it's, it's a colour of optimism. You know, it's obviously, you know, when we see the sun shining, we feel far more optimistic. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, I'm, I really need more optimism on my life. That must be what's going on. I must need this. And also to see the yellow flowers was like getting a big cheery hello. So with all the kind of, you know, doom and gloom that was going on around, um, it was those flowers, every single time I saw them in the kitchen, never failed to say hello. And that's the wonderful thing about colour. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Colour doesn't know. It will, it will give you, it'll give you what you, you need, what, what you want from that, right? So I think it's about what colours are you instinct, and it's the same message really throughout this whole talk, isn't it, is, is, is what colours are you truly instinctively drawn to? What really gives you what you need. If, if it is a very quiet, soft pink, because you just need that bit of, you need a jumper that hugs you and, and, and it feels like you're wearing a hug, um, then that's right for you. If it's red, because you need that, what I always call like a double espresso boost, because if you just need that little bit of energy and that get up and go, but you might only need it for a short amount of time. You might only want to wear it in the morning or you might only want to wear it at four o'clock in the afternoon. Just notice, notice what you're going towards. Notice what you're picking. You could very well have all the colours you want in your home, but they could be in your cupboards. And really what you want to do is, you know, you might want to pull out that vase and get those flowers because you just might need that colour in that moment. But it's, it's about, it is pick and mix and it really is going for what you need. And you, you, you made a great point just earlier about you know, communicating and colour is a way to communicate without saying a word. So we are expressing how we're feeling, how we're thinking all of the time by the colours that we choose to wear. Um, and it's great non-verbal cues. So you can even get a gauge of how somebody else is feeling by the colours that they're wearing. Like you said, when your son isn't singing, that's a cue for you to know something's not something's not right we get we're getting these verbal cues off color all the time um so i would always just really encourage people just to trust yourself and you don't even always have to know why as as long as it's it's something that makes you gives you what you want so either you sometimes you want to stay in the feeling that you're in and other times you want to move out of that feeling that you're in and there will be colors that will give that give that to you and, and, and help, and help you, um, uh, help, help you do that. Yeah. Gosh, Karen, I feel like we have had the most epic masterclass in <laughs> color, color psychology. Thank you so much 
We went around the world, didn't we? We totally did. And, uh, you know, made it to Singapore, Holland. We went everywhere. We went Um, everywhere. (laughs) And we are everywhere because you're in Sydney and I'm in London. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, it was my absolute pleasure. Your book is, just so that my wonderful listeners know what to do and where to go, is The Little Book of Colour, How to Use the Power of Colour to Transform Your Life. Uh, and it is written for the everyday person. I promise I picked it up and I figured out what was going on pretty quickly. It was fabulous. It, it was and, really important that everybody, mm. it's not It's not written for designers. It's written for people to fall back in love and reconnect with their love of colour. That's exactly yeah. what's written. It's very inhalable. It's written yes. to be very, very inhalable. Agree. And it's in 13 different languages. Uh, which is so exciting on its first birthday of after having been published. So congratulations to you. And I'm pretty sure a whole bunch of low-tox people out there are now going to press stop and go and figure themselves and their colours out. Thanks, Karen. Beautiful. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart S T U A R T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.